About five years ago, I had a pretty awful pastoral experience. Um, I was talking to somebody, or somebody was talking to me, rather. It wasn't a planned counseling meeting. It was just someone had come up and just started uh, dumping all their problems on me. And they went on and on and on and on and on, started crying, stopped crying, kept talking, started crying again, and it was just on and on and on. And it wasn't like planned. It wasn't like someone said, hey, Drew, I need to talk to you. And I had a moment to really pray and get centered and become the best pastor I can be in the moment. It was just like a random thing. And after like 20 minutes of this person just unloading all of their very legit problems, somewhere my mind started to drift. And I was not present. I was not listening. And I know this is church, and it's generally not the place where people are honest. But if I could be honest, I did not care. And I just kept thinking, when are they going to shut up? I'm not proud of that, but that's how I was. I just was ready for them to stop talking, stop crying, and move on. And I had other things to do, and I had a long laundry list of things to get done. And the last thing that I wanted was to sit and to counsel somebody and to listen and to pray. And I love this person. But I found myself in this moment of, I don't care about your problems. Please stop talking. I got stuff to do. About five years ago. The next day, I realized what happened. And I was like, oh no. That's not who God's made me to be. That's not the pastor God's called me to be. I love this person. I care about this person's well-being. And it really um, was a painful shock to my system because I realized that day that I had been operating and giving to people from a resource that I did not possess. And Randomly, this person showed up and needed some life-giving prayer or insight or help or just a listening ear, and I did not possess what they needed. They didn't know that, but I knew that. And as they kept asking and asking and asking for help, I began to resent that they kept asking me to give them something that they thought I had, that I should have, that as a pastor I should have, but I just did not have. And the result was I just could not wait for them to stop talking and leave me alone. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. I don't want to be there. I'm not there often. And I took that situation to um, my pastor, Sandy, Bishop Sandy, and I said, Sandy, I'm really scared. I can't really tell anyone about this thing that just happened, unless they judge me. But, and I explained to him kind of what had happened. And he began to ask me some questions, and one of the questions he asked was, Drew, how's your Sabbath keeping? And I was like, uh-oh. And um, I had taught on Sabbath, I had practiced Sabbath, I had a um, big, big, big fan of keeping the Sabbath holy. But in the process of starting a church from scratch, just within two years, I had um, allowed the demands of my schedule and the demands of people to keep me on the race 
And um, slowly but surely, my Sabbath keeping kind of fell to the wayside. And I began to fill my Sabbath with more things to do. It was a bonus day. It was, okay, here's a day where no one's going to bother me. Let me fill it with more errands, more things around the house, more things to do. And I began to abuse my Sabbath. Uh, Eugene Peterson calls it the, um, bastardizing the Sabbath, making the Sabbath the illegitimate child of God's true intention for you. And we treat the Sabbath as just another day off. I was doing that. And it's that question from Bishop Sandy helped realign me. And I um, began to say, I don't want to become a, like a, a Pharisee or a Nazi, but I need to get really, really serious about protecting my Sabbath day. It has been one of the most crucial things that I have done in the last five years. It has radically changed my relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my home, with my friends, with my neighbors, our church. Um, often people will come in and they'll say things like, this is a very gentle place and a humble place and I feel God's spirit here and... Um, They'll say things like, I don't feel any control or pressure from you as a pastor, and this is a really weird experience. And I always go back to, if you knew my Enneagram number, you would not be saying these things. If you knew my personality type as an ENTJ, you would not be saying, this place is a gentle place, because ENTJs are not gentle. But every time they say that, I go back to, well, yeah, it's one reason is because every seven days I remember I'm not God, and he is, and I bring all of my stuff to him, and it's a day where I let the Spirit take care of me, and it's from Sabbath rest that we do our work in our home and in our neighborhood and in our church, and instead of working towards the Sabbath and collapsing, we start with the Sabbath, and we work from a place of God's deep rest. Very different. I have been uh, so excited to hear and to experience, just personally, what can happen in your life and in the lives of people around you if you just kept the Sabbath holy, as the fourth commandment says. Like, it is really amazing, the fruit that can happen in your life. Not just the way you live your life, but what God can do in you and through you if you take the spiritual discipline of Sabbath keeping seriously. With that excitement, I often come to people and talk to them about Sabbath, and I'm always surprised by the resistance, the excuses, the objections, being called a Pharisee. I've been called a Pharisee when I talk to people about Sabbath. And it always uh, just shocks me. And then I go back to the scriptures and I remember, oh, the Bible is full of human history of people who either took the Sabbath way too seriously and added 43 different laws to it and became the Pharisees, or it's filled with history of people who neglected the Sabbath and rejected the Sabbath. And there is probably a good reason why the fourth commandment out of all the Ten Commandments is keep it. God, why would God tell us to keep it if we would not be predisposed to not keeping it? It's just, the command is keep. And so when I talk to people, like, oh, no, no, I don't need to keep it. I'm like, no, no, no. It says, keep it. <laughs> no, no, well, we don't need to keep it. No, 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 no. God said, just straight up, keep it. And it's the longest of all the commandments. It's right up there with don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. The Sabbath is right up there with those. So what I'd like to uh, talk about today is the, I think it's five common objections that I hear people give and that I give towards the Sabbath. 
And they're pretty lame. Um, and I don't even think they're the real objections. I think they mask the real reasons why we don't um, take God up on this Sabbath delight. I think there's really only three deep reasons. So we're going to look at five superficial reasons, and then we're going to look at the three real reasons why we don't choose Sabbath rest. And just, we're just going to um, bask in the conviction of the Holy Spirit together. How about that? Okay, so before we get into that, I want to just define what Sabbath is, because Sabbath means a lot of different things. Um, my, uh, one of my heroes, Pete Scazzaro, I like this definition of Sabbath. He says, uh, Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. That's a great uh, non-religious, non-legalistic description of what Sabbath is. It's 24 hours. It is a day. It's not an hour. It's not, a lot of people approach the Sabbath and it's like, yeah, well, it was Sabbath-ish. It was like mostly Sabbath. No, no, no. It has a beginning and an end. It has boundaries. Just like our marriage If you're married, your marriage has boundaries. There is a clear start time to your marriage. And hopefully, not an end time, but sometimes there are end times. But there's a container for your marriage, right? There's boundaries. There's guardrails for your marriage. But the Sabbath is the same thing. And one of those guardrails is is a 24-hour block of time. The Jews, um, most most Jewish people, they view the Sabbath as it begins on um, the evening of Friday, and it ends on the evening of Friday. They start their Sabbath in the evening, which is a great practice. I highly recommend it. Um, another uh, definition um, from Pastor John Tyson, who's in New York City, he emphasized it this way. He says, it's a slow day where we remember and keep. He's taken the words remember and keep from the Old Testament. But he emphasizes to New Yorkers who are always fast and busy, he emphasizes slow. The Sabbath needs to be slower than the other six days that you live in New York City. And I, I like that. It should be slower. My favorite definition is from a guy named Marty Solomon from the Bama podcast. This is what he has taught his kids. If you ask his kids, what is Sabbath? They say, we rest, we play, no work. God loves us. I mean, come on. It's hard to improve on that. But that's amazing. The Sabbath is a day where we rest, we play, We don't do any work because God loves us. That's great. Wonderful. And then, of course, Jesus, he would just define it as it's a day for life. It's a day for healing. It's a day that serves us. Here's what Sabbath is not. Sabbath is not a day off. It's not a day off. It's different than a day off. It is a holy day, as we talked about last week. God, um, Bless the Sabbath. He consecrated the Sabbath. He set it apart. I use the illustration of a bunch of, I think I had like plastic cups. And there's like six plastic cups. So those are the six days. And then the Sabbath day is like the glass bottle of wine. Right? It's different. It is not the same day. It's not the same container. It's not a day off. We tend to abuse our lives. And we, we cram. We say yes to so many things. And we try to cram so much into our life that often the Sabbath becomes a catch-up day. That's not the Sabbath. It's just another day off, okay? Um, The Sabbath is not a church service. Unfortunately, um, we get this one ingrained in us as kids, and we start to equate Sabbath with church. And it's not. And my hope is that 
attending worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ would be a part of your Sabbath, but you and I both know that you can come to church and it not be a Sabbath experience, either by how the church does worship or by how you approach the church. But Sabbath is not synonymous with a church service. Lastly, Sabbath is not self-care. There's a, a big trend right now, especially among young people and millennials, of which I am one, is that we are, we are like real big on self-care. And the Sabbath is not self-care. The Sabbath is, is, is not a day where you care for yourself. It's a day where the Spirit cares for you. It is not self-help. It is spirit help. Okay? Now, there might be uh, ways you can do it. Um, you know, an example um, that, that someone gave was, a lot of times people view Sabbath as, I'm going to wake up late, I'm going to go have brunch and drink a mimosa, then I'm going to go get a massage, and then I'm going to go have like um, coffee with a friend, and then I'm going to have a nap, and then I'm going to go have a nice dinner, and I'm going to have this day of self-care, and that's Sabbath. And I'd say, no, that's just a day for yourself. That's not Sabbath. If silence and solitude and incorporating the worship of God into it is not there. It's not a Sabbath. As Eugene Peterson, it's a bastard Sabbath. It's Sabbath-ish, but it's not Sabbath, right? Now, could you have brunch on Sabbath? Could you have a mimosa on Sabbath? Yeah. Could you get a massage on your Sabbath? Absolutely, right? But just doing those things and just focusing solely on yourself, self-care does not equal Sabbath, right? Um, a great verse in Jeremiah 6 that I want to bookend the rest of our time together with is um, verse 16. The Lord says, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. What's your attitude towards the spiritual discipline of every seven days remembering and keeping the Sabbath holy as the Lord did in creation? It is an ancient path. It is a good path. It is for your benefit, for your rest, for your joy, but some people stand at the crossroads and they say, we will not do it. Right? What's your attitude towards it? Here's uh, five common objections that I hear. The first one is, we're no longer under the Old Testament law. This one's funny. Um, these people, never they never apply the same logic to some of the other laws. They kind of pick and choose and they say, it's, we're no longer... Under the Old Testament law, therefore, the Sabbath is, um, we don't have to keep it. But they don't apply that to the commandment of um, not stealing, right? They kind of isolate the Sabbath. Here's um, three different laws in the, in, the, in the scriptures, okay? The first one is their ceremonial religious laws. The second is their civic laws. And the third is their are moral laws. So don't murder would be a moral law, Right? Um, a civic law would be the equivalent of, you know, don't go, um, don't talk on your cell phone in a school zone. That's a civic law. It's a good law, right? 
Um, the scripture says, obey the laws of the land, right? And then there's ceremonial laws, things like um, you have to be washed a certain way or don't walk through a graveyard on your way to worship or you're going to become ceremonial and clean. And, and, and really the ceremonial laws, we would say, um, under grace and under um, the work that Christ has done, we are no longer um, obligated to keep the ceremonial laws because the purpose of the ceremonial laws was to teach us how sinful and dirty we are, are and how we need a God. Right? So um, ceremonial laws are a thermometer to tell you that you're sick. Ceremonial laws are not the medicine or the antibiotic you take to get um, well, right? That's the problem that the Pharisees had is they took the diagnostic tool or the law and they thought that it was the medicine. And it'd be, it'd be crazy to like look at a thermometer and think that the thermometer is going to take your fever away. No, the thermometer is just telling you that you got a fever. There's, there's something else you should say, like essential oils for you hipsters. So... You get the point. Peppermint. Let's try it. Right. I think the Sabbath is still a law. Um, I don't think that the Sabbath is a moral law. I don't think that the Sabbath is a, uh, a civil law. I think it's just a law that works. Uh, I would put the Sabbath uh, right up there with the law of gravity. We use this illustration a lot. Uh, you can, no, no matter what you feel about the law of gravity... You can be atheistic towards the law of gravity and go, I don't believe in the law of gravity. But if you go to the top of the Empire State Building and you jump off the Empire State Building, it doesn't matter what you believe about the law of gravity. You will not break the law of gravity. The law of gravity breaks you. Or more appropriately, you break yourself on the law of gravity. The point. The Sabbath is like that. The Sabbath is not something we, we necessarily break. The Sabbath is something we break ourselves on. When we live like a machine, when we live like a slave, when we live as if God is not God and it's up to us, and we go, 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 and we can't sit still, we can't slow down, we can't get off of our devices or whatever, we actually break ourselves on the law of Sabbath. Um, We don't necessarily keep the Sabbath as much as the Sabbath keeps us. And so I view the Sabbath in that way. Um, if, you, if you, quote, break the Sabbath, are you going to hell? No. Does God love you any less? No. But if you keep the Sabbath and you get in those, what um, I think Peterson calls it, the rhythms of grace, what happens is you become more aware of God's love and you begin to sense more of God's love and you receive more of God's love and eventually if someone walks up and they're crying and they need help, you'll have something to give them and you won't be ashamed of what you find. The second uh, uh, objection I hear a lot is, Jesus is my Sabbath. Stop being religious. This one's funny. Uh, I hear this one from pastors all the time. You should talking about sick, because pastors are like the worst Sabbath keepers um, for lots of reasons. But um, often when I talk to other ministers about Sabbath practices, especially when I see that they're burned out and they're kind of doing what I was doing five years ago, Um, They often will say, you know, that's not the gospel. Jesus is my Sabbath. He's my Sabbath rest, and I'm free to do all this other stuff. Um, What's hilarious about that is they don't apply the same logic to some of the other laws in the Ten Commandments, such as um, don't commit adultery. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. Christ is our groom. They never say, stop talking to me about marital faithfulness. Jesus is my groom. (laughs) They don't apply that logic to that, right? But they do here. You'll get it later. 
yeah, of course Jesus is our Sabbath. And he's Sabbath. Therefore, we should Sabbath to receive more of his Sabbath. Like, this is just crazy. All right. Third one is, I, I'm not bitter. His third one is, I'm not tired. I hear this from people who um, all the time say, oh, I'm not tired. I don't need the Sabbath. Well, I don't think God was tired or needed the Sabbath in Genesis 2. Right? And so uh, the Sabbath is not simply a functional thing. I mean, we, I can talk about the law of it and how we break ourselves on it and that you do actually physically and emotionally and spiritually need Sabbath rest, totally. But it's not merely a function. It's an act of worship. It's an act of humbling ourselves and saying, God, I don't need to produce today. I don't need to get things done today. I can get nothing done today and just rest in you and find delight in you and look to you for my identity and still be physically great, right? The fourth one that I hear also is, I don't have time. To these people, I say, you may not have time, but you need a counselor because <laughs> you need help, right? Um, usually people who say, I don't have time, they are either um, overworked legitimately into which they need a lesson on the sovereignty of God. Uh, there are many people I've met who are overworked and they would say intellectually that I believe God is in control and I believe God is sovereign, but with the way they calendar and with the way they approach their life, they do not believe God is sovereign because they think everything is up to them. And so if, if that's one of your excuses, say, well, I just don't have time to Sabbath, I would ask you, do you actually believe that God is sovereign in your life? Uh, another uh, thing behind this is people will say, I don't have time, and they legitimately feel overwhelmed. They legitimately feel overworked, um, and they feel that they don't have time to do this. Most of the time, I have found that those people are not overworked. They are underorganized. They have not learned how to lead their life, lead their calendar, um, schedule out their day. People who say, I don't have enough time, they don't look at their year and go, Lord, what do you call me to do this year? They don't look at the quarters. They don't look at the month or the week. They just go day to day. And of course you would feel overwhelmed. Of course you feel that way. The reality is, is most people um, have not said yes to too many things They've just been not purposeful on what they say yes to their time with. Uh, that was me several years ago. I felt this way, often overwhelmed. And um, now for the last year and a half, I've done a practice where I begin my week. Actually, in uh, start, let me back up. Um, in every November, I take a day and I say, Lord, what are you putting in my heart to do next year? So I'll do this later this month. I'll look at 2020. God, what are the big things that you want me to do? Okay. And then I'll try to figure out, okay, here's my like six to 10 different big goals I feel God's calling me to do that only I can do that no one else can do. I can't delegate these things. These are things God is asking me to do. And then I'll figure out what quarter do they go in? Quarter one, two, three, or four. And I'll take quarter one and I'll break that down. And every uh, Monday's my Sabbath day. So every, um, at the end of Mondays um, or the beginning of Tuesdays, the first thing I do is I look at what are the three things that I have to do this week that nobody else can do. And if I don't do these three things, the work that God's calling me to will suffer eventually, right? So like in August, it was uh, find our, our next space. Like I could not do it that week, 
but eventually come December, we're going to be in trouble, right? So these are the vital things that if I don't do, eventually we're going to be in trouble. And those are my priorities. And there's a bunch of stuff that gets thrown in there. But I give my best time on the best days of my week to the best things God's called me to do. And then I say no to so many other things, right? I've been doing that for a year and a half, and it has, I've discovered, I have a lot of time. I have a lot of space and margin and energy. And it's just different when you approach your life that way. So if you're, if you're saying, I can't Sabbath because I don't have enough time, I got so much to do, are you, are you under-organized and do you need some practical help? The last one, which is the saddest one that I hear is, that sounds boring. And to these people I say, I'm so sad to know that you don't know what Sabbath is. There's stories in um, Jewish schools that if you go around a Jewish school on Friday when school lets out, you will hear what sounds like the screaming of little girls. And it is 14-year-old boys who are let out of school and they are screaming with sheer joy and delight because the Sabbath is soon to be upon them. Because they know the delight that Sabbath is. Uh, it's a day of delight. It's a day for pleasure. Unfortunately, churches and ministries and religious people have hijacked Sabbath to become this boring, life-sucking thing that you have to do. And if that's your experience with Sabbath, you have not been Sabbathing. How, um, how I view the Sabbath is how I view Christmas morning when I was a kid. I just couldn't wait for it to come. It is a day that I look forward to. It is the best day of the week. Um, sometime this evening, I will start to transition to Sabbath mode, and I'll put my computer up, and I'll put, take my watch off, and I'll ditch my phone, and for 24 hours, I'll enter a different mode of being. And, and at first, it's hard, and there's definitely a detox if you've never done this before, but after a while, I've learned the joy that comes from having 24 hours where you are busy doing nothing. People ask me, what are you doing on your Sabbath? I'll say, I'm busy. What are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> Leave me alone, right? I'm doing stuff. We'll talk next week about what, what Sabbath looks like. So these are the, the fifth things. I don't think these are actually the real reasons why people don't Sabbath. I think they're fake reasons. Um, they are reasons that people um, feel and there, there are reasons that people may legitimately um, think is there. But underneath the fruit of those five common objections, there are three. And we'll find them in the life of Jesus for the sake of time. We won't turn to Luke 4, but I'll, I'll throw you a couple of scriptures on the screen. This is um, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. If you know his baptism story in Luke 4, he goes down to John the Baptist John the Baptist baptizes him, and we see the Trinity. We see the voice of the Father saying, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. We see the Son, Jesus, coming up out of the water, and then we see the Spirit in the form of dove. You see the Trinity there, Father, Son, Spirit. And there's this incredible, audible declaration of the belovedness and the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. And then it says immediately the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the devil comes to him and and he says, if you're the son of God. Jesus has just heard the voice of the father saying, you are my beloved son. And, you know, presumably the next voice he hears is the voice of the devil saying, well, if you're the son of God, you wouldn't be out here hungry and alone. So why don't you look at these stones and turn them into bread? 
Jesus as a Jew would have known of the Exodus story of how God's people were in the wilderness in Exodus and they're hungry and so God provided bread on the ground. The devil says, well, if you're the son of God, there'd be bread on the ground. So why don't you just make bread on the ground? And he's attacking Jesus' appetite. Next temptation. He tempts him with ambition. He brings him up to, um, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, I will give all this authority and their glory. It's been delivered to me. I'll give it to whom I will. If you worship me. He's attacking Jesus' ambition. He's like, hey, I'll give you something powerful and glory, and you'll be the one in charge. You'll be wonderful. Just worship me. He's attacking Jesus' ambition. The last temptation. Again, he attacks his identity. If you're the son of God. Takes him to the pinnacle of the temple where people could see him. And he says, do something amazing. Throw yourself down. And then he misquotes two different scriptures. And what he's tempting him with is the approval. He's saying, Jesus, if you go to the temple... And you throw yourself down, and then angels come and save you, and you do this incredible magic trick. People will lift you and make you king, and you will have all the popularity. He's, atta- he's tempting him with the approval of man. These are the three temptations, and I think they're the only three temptations. Every way that you sin and are tempted can be traced back to one of these categories. It is either a sin of your appetite, it is a sin of your ambition, or it is a sin of looking to other people for approval. Pick all the ways in which you struggle. Guarantee you, you can put them under these three headings somehow, some way. And they are all an attack on your identity as a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God. I think we all struggle with these. uh, Usually we struggle with one more than the other. If you cared... I struggle with the approval more than the other two. I don't really have a whole lot of appetite um, temptations. Um, I'm not that ambitious. I'm not really driven to go be somebody. Um, But I daily struggle with, are people going to reject me or are they going to approve of me? Don't use that against me. (laughs) All right. I want to read uh, one last scripture, Isaiah 58. I love this. Isaiah says, if you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so, Isaiah 58. Jeremiah 6, one more time. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. What will your answer be?
Will you be like those that Jeremiah preached to who stood at the ancient path with their arms folded, with their objections and their temptations, and they said, we will not walk in the ancient ways. We've got objections. Or will you come to the table of the Lord today and open your hands and maybe humble yourself and humble your thinking and humble your, um, your opinions and lay down all your objections and ask Jesus for more of his Sabbath rest. There are so many spiritual disciplines that are helpful. Reading the scriptures daily, praying, fasting, confession. These are all disciplines that help us. Sabbath keeping is, is one of those that's right, right up there. I've never met a healthy, spiritually mature believer who does not Sabbath regularly. I've met a lot of believers who are superficial and they Sabbath-ish. But all the great saints that I know, all the great saints that have discipled me, who have the deepest, most healthy relationship with the Lord, every single one of them takes the fourth commandment seriously. I want to encourage you to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we, we bring our objections to you. We bring the pride of our flesh. We bring the lust of our eyes. We bring consumerism. We bring the addiction of this digital age. We bring our need for being approved. We bring our need of needing to be successful and accomplished. What we bring to you the unholy belief and practice that we are the ones in charge. Lord, I pray that you would lead us into a space where every fiber of our being we acknowledge that God, you are God and we are not. Lord, forgive us of the times where we have made our story the main narrative. Forgive us of how we treat you as an accessory or as a means to get what we want. God, we humbly confess that you are working out your divine narrative in all of human history. You are the main character. And at best, each and every one of us are footnotes in the story that you're writing in this universe. I pray you'd help us to experience the gospel in a fresh way today. But for those who may be deceived into thinking that you love them more because of their work or by their accomplishment or by what they do, I pray you would just remind us once again this morning while we were still sinners, 
you bled and died. You demonstrated your love that way. While we were strangers and aliens to your promise and to your kingdom, while we were at odds with you, while we were enemies of you, Ephesians says, while we were walking under the power of the prince of the air, while we were walking dead in our trespasses, because of your great love, because you are rich in mercy, you made us alive together with Jesus, our true Sabbath. And you brought life where there was death. Lord, lead us in the disciplines of spiritual formation, in the ancient acts of worship and practices. Strip from us every ounce of religious spirit and legalism. But Lord, help us to not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Help us to hold fast to you. We're so grateful for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray.